If you want to spend less time going to the grocery store, then you need to check out ButcherBox. It's a super convenient way to find high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust. ButcherBox only sells 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. And you know what all that means. No antibiotics or added hormones, so you get peace of mind that you're eating healthy food. On top of all that, ButcherBox makes shopping simpler because it gets delivered right to your doorstep. Shipping is always free, and you can customize your meal plan so you're only getting exactly what you want. We've tried everything from pork chops to tenderloins at our house, and they're always a huge hit. ButcherBox prices are as good or better than what you can find at the store, plus they have exclusive member deals, as well as a ton of recipes, cooking tips, and other kitchen hacks to choose from. So sign up at ButcherBox.com LISC and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. So sign up today at ButcherBox.com slash LISK, L-I-S-K, and use code LISK to choose your free-for-a-year offer, plus $20 off your first order. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Mopac Audio. Thanks for joining this episode of the List Podcast. I am your host, Chris Moss. For today's episode, I sat down with Mary Murphy from New York City's PIX11 News. Mary was at the September 27th pretrial hearing for Rex Hewerman at the Suffolk County Courthouse in Riverhead, and as these things usually are, it was fairly procedural. However, she did share a few takeaways from the proceedings. Things like Rex's physical appearance and overall demeanor, along with the fact that he owned large capacity magazines for his guns, which are very much illegal in New York. She also talked about what defense attorney Michael Brown shared about at least one possible strategy he'll use in the trial, along with a bunch of other subtle yet pertinent aspects. It's an informative conversation and we're grateful to Mary Murphy as always for her time. With all that said, here's the episode. Tell us about this court visit they started at 9.30 a.m., and Rex Uerman came in and looked a little bit different than the last time. He had a haircut. His hair is a lot neater now. It's shorter. The sideburns are gone. And so that was the first thing I noticed. And he was wearing a suit jacket and his khakis. And some of the family members were there, Melissa Bartholomew's sister and Maureen Brainer Barnes's sister. The first thing that was handled at the hearing was kind of interesting. Netflix had made an application to have audio and visuals in the courtroom, but the judge denied that. Uh, The only visual is a still camera that's been allowed so far. And Newsday, the Long Island newspaper, has been the pool camera for us. How many people were there attending? I guess there's press, some family. In total, what would you say? We were online to make sure that we got in, and I got there very early. So 
The courtroom was once again packed. It's a large courtroom. And interestingly enough, the media was given the first two rows. I'm not used to that happening in most cases. Usually uh, family and other prosecutors, defense attorneys are allowed access to the first two rows. But in this case, the media has it. So that was good that we got up close and we could hear things very clearly. The district attorney, Ray Tierney, announced to the court that he was turning over 5,000 pages of new documents, a lot of them pertaining to grand jury testimony. So we don't know who all the witnesses were yet before that secret grand jury, but now the defense will know because this is all part of the discovery process. Before every criminal trial, a defendant, a criminal defendant has the right to see what the evidence is going to be against him and who the witnesses could potentially be. So that was turned over at this most recent hearing And the defense attorney, Michael Brown, also revealed to us some of what was already turned over in August. And he said there were five hard drives and most of them, 99% of what was on the hard drives concerned four poll cameras that were trained on Rex Uriman's house in Massapequa Park, Long Island for the year and a half before his arrest. So it became clear that once he was identified as a suspect in March of 2022, that surveillance started on him. And Michael Brown, the defense attorney, said that all it showed was my client getting up each day, going to work, coming home to his family, chopping wood. He said he lived a very basic life. So the surveillance was already turned over in August. It also turns out that there was a surveillance camera inside the police car in Midtown Manhattan on the night of July 13th, when Rex Uerman was arrested as he left work. And so he said, unless my client is a wonderful actor, he was very, very shocked. Uh, The other thing that made news that came out of the hearing is the district attorney announced that the pizza crust sample, the abandonment sample, they called it, that was found in the trash that Rex Uerman threw in the trash outside his office in Manhattan, Apparently, the DNA on the pizza crust matches the cheek swab, buccal swab, that was taken from Rex Heuerman after his arrest. The defense tried to fight having that cheek swab taken, but the judge overruled the team. And so he was required, Rex Heuerman, to give over his cheek swab with DNA. And as it turns out, it matches the DNA that was on the pizza crust. And the reason that's significant is because the pizza crust was used to match genetic material that was found on Megan Waterman, which was tied to Huerman. How long did the hearing last about? This hearing was fairly short. I would say only about 10 or 15 minutes. Rex Huerman actually spoke very briefly, but he spoke. And he's, his voice sounded similar to what we had heard on this video that was going around on the day of his arrest. It was that video that was on YouTube It was an interview done by a real estate interviewer Mm -hmm. and Rex Heuerman in a very jolly way was describing his job as a fixer, you know, able to get around dated city codes when people needed work done on their buildings because he's an architect. So he was very jovial in that video and he sounded a little bit the same in court. Uh, The judge said to him, are you getting access to your files? Are you able to review the discovery? And it came out in court that he would be allowed up to four hours a day to look at this evidence against him. And Rex Heuerman said in a very loud, clear voice, 
I'm averaging two to three hours a day. So he's already looking at the evidence against him. Do you know why they limit his ability to review the materials? That's not really clear. You know, no one has made an issue out of that. His attorney did not make an issue out of that. Uh, but the attorney also, when we asked him about the DNA and whether it was significant that the cheek swab matched the material on the pizza crust, which was tied to Megan Waterman, he was saying that basically it's not a match. He said it was consistent with someone in a smaller pool and that his client was included in a smaller pool of the population. But this lawyer, Michael Brown, added it's still a significant amount of people that could be the source of this hair. So, you know, he's obviously making some of his defense strategy obvious at this point uh, because they're, they're very careful to say that it's not a match, but that it's consistent with someone in a small pool of the population. Yeah. One other thing that the defense attorney complained about in all of the initial documents that were turned over in August, and there were 8,000 of them, there were watermarks put on pretty much every photograph. And that was apparently to prevent leaks. You know, the, the prosecutor is really concerned about leaks in this case, and he doesn't want anything that would compromise the trial or give the defense anything to appeal on. So th the lawyer said, why am I getting all these watermarks if I want to enlarge the exhibits? This will impede everything. So apparently they had a very brief conference in chambers with the judge, and there's some sort of a compromise that went on in terms of how the future evidence will be turned over. But I have to tell you, there really have been no leaks. The And in terms of Rex Uerman, when he became a suspect, not one person I know of ever heard his name until the day he was arrested. So uh, they've done a good job of preventing leaks. You know, we try to dig out as much information as we can. And uh, I was actually talking to the district attorney the other day, Ray Tierney, about the whole issue with Rex and his guns. That's a separate case. The DA in Suffolk County wants to turn over the 283 guns to the Nassau County Police Department. That's a different county on Long Island, and that's the county where Rex Uerman lived with his family. The family has asked for the guns returned to them. Apparently, they want to sell the guns and make some money, but the DA is determined that these guns will go back to the Nassau County Police. Uh, he pointed out most of the guns were not licensed. Of the 283 weapons, only 92 were licensed. And he said, it's not property, it's contraband. Uh, he also pointed out that there were unregistered assault weapons. That's a crime, Ray Tierney said. And one thing that we haven't reported yet is that apparently there were high capacity magazines found in Rex Uerman's vault. Those are often used with assault weapons so that people can fire more bullets in a very quick period of time and they're very deadly. And that's why high capacity magazines, I know in New York state, they're banned. Uh, and they've been used by many people in mass shootings. Apparently, Rex Uerman has some high-capacity magazines in his vault. So I'm kind of torn on that because I've heard that, you know, the family wants them back. And then I could see where you could keep them, especially if there were laws broken, unregistered. But I feel for that family because they could make a lot of money off the guns and help fund what's next for them, you know? Well, I guess the district attorney in Suffolk County feels that they were illegal to begin with and they're considered contraband, not property. So he'd rather not give them back. 
I understand that. Yeah. Um, were there press conferences afterwards that you were part of? Did you catch anything there? Yes. Yes. I mean, I have notes from the press conferences. Uh, usually the district attorney speaks first and that's what happened at the most recent hearing. Uh, basically, he was talking about some of the evidence that were turned over. And one of the things I didn't mention earlier on this podcast is that video surveillance from the walkthrough in the house where the search was done. Now, you know, the search took 12 days and involved digging up of the backyard. But what we were told is that no remains were found in the backyard. But the family, the wife and the children were very upset about the condition of the house when they came back. Now, we understand that Rex Heuerman and his family, well, Rex in particular, was considered a hoarder, according to the Suffolk County Police Commissioner, Ronnie Harrison. Uh, you know, the family was upset. They released some photographs because it was very messed up after the law enforcement left after the search. Tubs were cracked open and pipes were removed from sinks. And that was just mostly to look for the trace evidence. But anyway, there's a surveillance that was given to the defense at the most recent hearing. And among the 5,000 pages of material, aside from the grand jury minutes, there is other evidence and documents relating to the three murders of Amber Costello, Megan Waterman, and Melissa Bartholomew, and also the searches of the home, the business, two storage units, and the vehicles. Also, I think the DNA profiles were given over to the defense as well. So when we were talking to the DA, you know, we asked him if he was concerned about leaks. He said that's something that you always worry about. But, you know, he felt pretty good about the evidence that they have. He feels that it's strong. Um, one thing that the attorney for Rex Heuerman pointed out is that there were numerous other suspects in this case that they looked at before my client was arrested. I want to see those records. So he said that very specifically. And of course, we don't believe those records were turned over yet. So there's there's stuff happening. There's things moving. You know, that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify is your POS command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that unites your in-person and online sales into one seamless process. Easily track every sale across your business and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. You can take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify POS Go mobile device. Easy peasy. And if there's ever a question, Shopify's award-winning support is there to answer your questions. So sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lisk, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lisk to take your retail business to the next level today. One last time, go to shopify.com slash lisk. And then did the defense have anything to say, anything that we missed that they said in their press conference? No, he, he was just talking about the fact that the surveillance cameras were trained on his client's house for a year and a half before his arrest. And one other thing I wanted to mention with the district attorney is that he said, we're now working on the fourth Gilgo victim. That would be Maureen Brainerd Barnes. 
it's always been said that Rex Heuerman is the prime suspect in her murder. She was actually the first of the Gilgo Four to go missing. She disappeared in 2007. She had been out in the elements a lot longer than the other three of the Gilgo Four. And so whatever evidence was there, if she had been wrapped in something, maybe that disintegrated a little bit. But I believe the belts were used to wrap Maureen Brainerd Barnes and the belt with the initials that garnered so much attention a few years ago, uh, that was on Maureen Brainerd Barnes. So District Attorney Ray Tierney said that we are working on the fourth Gilgo victim, and now we're expanding our investigation to include others, other bodies that we have recovered in that area. And, you know, your listeners know that uh, there are six other sets of remains along Ocean Parkway. And there had been talk about Bitroff being looked at more for the Manorville. Um, Has anything happened with that? Well, Bitroff has not been mentioned lately. You know, when we last spoke, we were talking about him having a potential appeal of his conviction or the way the DNA evidence was handled in his case. So basically nothing new about Bitroff, except that we know that he was a hunter and Rex Heuerman was a hunter. And so both of them have been brought up as potential suspects for the Manorville cases where the women were dismembered with their heads and their hands were taken off and they were tied up in a certain way that was very brutal. So nothing new with Bitroff. And then as far as Rex, what do you see if you kind of had your crystal ball going and you were looking towards the future? What's the next hearing? What's the next thing that you're looking at? With Rex, the next hearing will be November 15th, so that's just a short bit before Thanksgiving. I've mentioned to you in the past that the law enforcement community in this case really wish he would just confess. They wish he would talk. They wish he would say something. It would make their lives a lot easier. Uh, They wouldn't have to maybe go to trial. But Rex Yeoman's lawyer is insisting my client says he didn't do this. So one other thing. There was an article written, and I believe the sheriff was quoted at the jail where Heuerman is being housed out in Riverhead, Long Island. And the sheriff made a comment about him being non-emotional. And the lawyer was real upset about that. He thought that the sheriff was trying to sort of assess Rex Heuerman and who he is and what kind of person he is, the way he carries himself. And the lawyer made it very clear that he had said to Rex Heuerman, Rex, just get through this and don't show any emotion. So the lawyer is trying to say that he's the one who advised Rex Heuerman not to be emotional or to show emotion when he appears in court or when he carries himself around the jail. So that that was something that was brought up by defense attorney Michael Brown. And then this November date, is that just more evidentiary hearings and that sort of thing? Yes. And, you know, because there is so much evidence in this case, I have heard that it could be at least a year before it ever goes to trial. I mean, we're coming up on 2024. It could be 2025 before this goes to trial. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those where you don't want to get it wrong. And um, if you're going to if he's not rushing and you're not, you know, why why rush it and make sure you get it right? And then I had a good talk with Heidi. And, you know, we tried to get to talk to Cam about Julia and um, Heidi was helpful, but we never got to talk to Cam. Has there been any updates on that? That story out of South Carolina. The only thing I know about South Carolina 
The only thing is that the Suffolk County Police Commissioner, Ronnie Harrison, said that they are working in Suffolk County with the law enforcement in South Carolina. I interviewed their public information officer at least two weeks ago, and he made it sound like it was imminent that they would be coming up with some conclusion uh, as to whether Rex Uerman was ever in the area where Julia and Bean disappeared. I got the sense from someone I spoke to that they're not sure that he's connected. Uh, I also was told that they have very good um, ideas of his whereabouts over a period of years. I know that 2007 to 2010 was followed extensively through records, travel records and cell phone records. And so I guess they would have to move on to the 2010s and after to see where he was moving and whether he was in areas where people had disappearances that still haven't been solved or murders. There hasn't been anything lately from the jurisdictions that received so much attention when he was first arrested, South Carolina and Nevada, specifically Las Vegas. There, that really has quieted down lately. And you know, you have to remember in New York in particular, in the city where, where I work, we had a huge story happen just a couple of weeks ago when a baby died in daycare from exposure to fentanyl uh, and three other babies had to be rushed to the hospital and revived with Narcan. Uh, it turned out that the people running the daycare allegedly were using it as a drug operation as well and trap doors were found under the floor where the baby slept and where they played. So that really was a huge case. And because I've done so much with fentanyl and heroin and that scourge in America, I was working on that for a while, but I've always kept up with the Uorman developments. Yeah. I had kept up with your reporting on that case of the, the daycare and it's just tragic. Well, the last question I have for you is, you know, with all the cases you cover, missing children, fentanyl, serial killers, how do you keep it all together? It's very tough because you want to be thorough and accurate. And, you know, it's it's hard to maintain your own home when you have a passion for your work in journalism and you feel like you're performing a service with your reporting. So it's it's tough. But, you know, there there is some sense of accomplishment when people tell you that you were informative on a case or that they learned something from your reporting on fentanyl or some other social issue that we're dealing with. So it is tough because I've done this for 40 years and I wish I could keep my house a little neater, but um, I do feel good about having served the public with my reporting for this long. And um, I hear you play some tennis. Does that help? <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Although, uh, Last uh, Wednesday morning, I usually try to go really early on Wednesday at 7 a.m. to play some tennis, just a little bit, to break up the week. And I couldn't go because I had to be on the road to Riverhead for the hearing in mm. the Gilgo Beach case. Well, I'm sorry about that. And you haven't made the switch to pickleball yet. Not yet. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. And um, I know you're busy. I hope you get your tennis in because with all you cover, I'm grateful for it. But I, I hope it doesn't drive you crazy. Yeah, when I when I don't hit a good forehand, it drives me crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> priorities, priorities. Yes, yes. But uh, thank you very much for having me again. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, anytime, Mary. We really, we really are grateful for the work you do. Thank you. All right, have a good day. You too.
That's it for today's episode of The List Podcast. A big thank you to PIX11's Mary Murphy for fitting us into her busy schedule. She's been following the case since the beginning and continues to do amazing work on it, among other amazing work she does. Please keep an eye out for new episodes. We've got a bunch of new interviews in the works that we hope will expand listeners' understanding of the case and the lives of the people who've been deeply affected by it. Lastly, we really appreciate you listening, and please remember to rate and review the podcast if you're enjoying the show. And thanks. This has been a Mopac Audio production. I am your host, Chris Moss. Our senior producer is Shannon McGarvey. Our executive producers are Jonathan Beal and Jonathan Nowazarden, and music by Blake Maples. The views, speculation, conjecture, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers, guests, and the hosts. They do not reflect or represent the policy or views held by Mopac Audio LLC or any broadcaster of this podcast. Any and all suspects discussed on this podcast are considered innocent until guilt is established in a court of law and any allegations, speculation, opinion, or conjecture about any suspect is subject to such presumption of innocence.